Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What are we going to be talking about today on our Hot Girl Briefing? We're talking about extradition, the international kind. Absolutely. It's a fun fact. This actually came from one of our listeners. Again, another, you know, listener submitted a little pod from my friend Cody. So shout out to Cody. Bless your soul. Best listen to this episode. And you better get your knowledge up because that's literally why we made this episode. So feel free to partake, loop it, stream it as many times as you want until it all gets into your head and just seeps in totally that you never have to ask this question again of what is extradition. Because Erica and I, we're going to be going through the whole the whole thing. We're going to be talking about what is extradition, the components involved with it, and also like some high profile extraditions that we've all known about and heard about. Like you've all heard about these things. So it's going to be a fun little episode. Yeah, I think the high profile ones are like very interesting. I knew about a few of them, but just reading some more details. The one thing I will say that I did not include in this episode. So if you guys want us to do like a part two or like more on those high profile cases, I would love to do a deep dive on like where those extradited individuals are now. What oh, happened that would to be them? so much fun. I think that we should definitely do that. If you guys are interested, please let Maybe us know. Maybe like a Patreon. That's how, you know what? That might be one of the Patreon episodes. Yeah. Because we're finally coming out with Patreon soon. So coming into the new year, coming in with the new Patreon. So it might have to be a cute little Patreon episode. So y'all might have to tune in, but we might give you guys a little spoiler for it too. Don't you worry. We're not going to be holding out, but it'll be a fun time. I, I think that that's a great idea, Erica. I'm absolutely down for that. Yes, definitely. For sure. I'm writing it down as we speak. I'm just going to make sure we don't reveal too much because you know us, Geminis, yes. we can't keep our freaking mouth closed. You know, sometimes I'm evolved. It just depends. You got to say, you got to say that this is a secret. Otherwise, it, you know, if you don't like preface it with that, they're like, you know, it's, it's liable. It's fair game. Yeah. You not only have to say it's a secret, you have to be like, this needs to be like top secret clearance classified. Yeah. This is of the highest levels. And then I turn into an absolute vault, you know? Yeah, of course. But you just got to let me know that it stays in the vault and then it'll stay there. But you know, as Gemini's, us hot girls, we like to talk. So getting into this episode and liking to talk. So Erica, what exactly is extradition? So this is a direct quote from the United States Department of Justice. International extradition is a legal process by which one country, the requesting country, may seek from another country, the requested country, the surrender of a person who is wanted for prosecution or to serve a sentence following conviction for a criminal offense. And then in the United States, international extradition is treaty-based, meaning that the United States must have an extradition treaty with the requesting country in order to consider the request for extradition, unquote. Yes, because otherwise, then it's just labeled as like a prisoner swap, which we will get into later in our episode. Yeah, so it's just basically an exchange, an exchange of alleged criminals, because from my understanding, extradition can be tried or untried criminals. Am I wrong on that, Hunter? Mm -hmm. So essentially what happens is that basically you can go into this two ways one you can be like a fleeing criminal who you have not been convicted you have not been put in front of a court nothing legally has happened to you yet except that there's basically like a giant arrest warrant for you and so say that like the u.s really wants you then they can be like hey like you have this person within your country we would really like them back because like they did bad things but like we 
can't even get them into a court because they're physically not here in the country. So we need you to extradite them to us. Or you could have been convicted, had all these charges go against you, and then you flee and you escape. And then you're just like a criminal, like on the run, like convicted person, just you were not sentenced, like, or you escape jail or something and you're like on the lam, you know, all of those things you can be extradited for. And how exactly does that work once you begin the extradition process? So honestly, it really depends like on the country that's involved since some are really, really great about the whole process and some are just not. They drag their feet. It's just a horrible pain. So usually there's two phases. One is the judicial and then the other is the executive phase. And so Basically, the person's been located, they've been arrested in the requested country, and then they enter into the judicial process. So this was what starts it all out. So the judicial process starts it out. It examines, you go into basically a court in that requested country, and you go in to see if you even meet the extradition requirements of the treaty. And then if you do, then that's when it enters the executive phase where a state's executive authority that's in charge. So basically, this is usually a foreign affairs department, like a ministry of foreign affairs, or in our case in the U.S., it's the State Department. They decide on whether or not to extradite the individual. So some states also have it. So the process is able to be appealed multiple times throughout it because some may be like, hey, like this judicial pro- this judicial phase was unfair or like the executive phase is being unfair, like we would like to appeal this. So there's grounds to appeal it throughout the process. And just to let you guys know, only prosecuting authorities, like governments can request for an individual to be extradited, not private individuals. So I can't go to like Mexico to vacation and Hunter can't extradite me back and be like, I miss Erica, she needs to get back here. Mexico, will you please send her back? Yeah, like it has to be done like through government. So this is where like you see like some issues come up of where it's like, okay, like you have like a bounty hunter going into another country that's almost like kidnapping this person because technically it's not like a legal extradition. So this has been known to happen from time to time. So it's, yeah, you can only have governments that are going to like have like the extradition process even be requested. Yeah. And like Hunter said, it can sometimes be smooth or sometimes it can get drawn up in red tape, which I'm sure Mm -hmm. we are all aware of with the legal processes. I mean, just that's just our country that has that, let alone other countries outside the United States. Like when you involve foreign relations, it just the red tape multiplies. Yeah, it becomes a whole mess. So, Erica, are there any like alternatives to extradition? Yes, actually, there are quite a few, which I will share with you guys now. So the first one, which is probably the easiest way for any sort of extradition, is a waiver, which a few, which is as simple <laughs> as it sounds, honestly. A waiver. A fugit- yeah. A fugitive can waive the formal extradition process and just agree to be transferred to foreign authorities. Although, I don't know how often that happens. I would love to find some statistics. So leave That's that it. as a note for us. In we our- will be talking about it later in this episode. So we've <gasps> okay. got you covered. Because like normally, if another country is like going through all that hassle just to get you back to their country odds are it's are they not probably for good want reason. you back yeah i mean they're not just being like hey like come back like smell the spring flowers like they want you back to jail you like they are they're gonna throw the book at you yep and the next way is deportation which i'm sure is a term we're all familiar with 
Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than extradite non-nationals, some countries agreed to deport them sometimes outside of the formal administrative process. So I'm, we're all, I've, I've heard at least a story or two of people getting deported back to the country so the country can deal with their own Mm -hmm. national themselves. Yes. And then Hunter, is there any others? Yeah. So there's two more. So the first, so the third one is actually extraordinary rendition where, so this occurs when a fugitive, they're typically separated from a country of refuge, and then they are denied access to the judicial process. So one example could be that the United States authorities, they use the practice to bring suspected terrorists and other criminals back to the U.S. or to different places for detention, interrogation, or prosecution. So kind of like Guantanamo Bay, if y'all have ever heard of that, this is where extraordinary rendition occurs. And so fun fact, Eric and I were talking about this before the episode began because it was just kind of like mind boggling that the U.S. Supreme Court weighed in. But the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a defendant can stand a trial even if they were forcibly abducted and brought to the United States. Like, like, where's the due process? I don't really think that that is due process of like kidnapping someone, basically. Like you were forcibly abducted. I know they like literally said forcibly abducted, but also can stand trial. Like I just, I have some questions about that, you know, and we can definitely do another episode on U.S. Supreme Court cases because I know we've talked about it before. So we should definitely do that. But like that was crazy to Hunter and I, I I mean, first of all, I would never want to be extraordinarily renditioned. No, never. that's That's probably like one of the worst ways that this could all go down that definitely is if you're being sent to a third place not good things will be happening no absolutely not i mean absolutely not but (laughs) the fourth one is foreign prosecution so this is where a foreign government they ultimately end up deciding to prosecute the individual that the requesting country wanted to have extradited back to their country and so normally this just occurs like when the individual like they're not a citizen of the requesting country but they're actually a citizen of the requested country. And they're like, you know what? It's our own citizen. Like, we'll have them stand trial here. Like, we're not going to have this back and forth. Like, they're not a national of yours. So they'll stand trial here and they will be jailed here subsequently if they are convicted. Well, isn't there cases too where like someone could be residing in a country that doesn't have an extradition treaty with the United States and is a national of that country and then they like the United States just like tries them and is like, okay, if you ever come to the United States, you're definitely going to jail. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, are like, could, okay, I'm not going to go to the United States then. Yeah. That can like also happen too, of kind of where it's like, you know, like this person, like they have not been like in front of the court, like they can't appear before the court, you know? So we are, we're essentially just going to place it. Like there's basically just going to be like this crazy arrest warrant out for them now that like, if they ever step into a place that has extradition with the U S you will absolutely be like snatched at like the border, like at customs, like you will be snatched up. You will be forcibly abducted and taken to the U.S. after that. So that definitely does happen as well. I just imagine like someone's like, oh, yeah, the United States like indicted me and like prosecuted me for like this crime. That was like 15 years ago, though. I'm sure they've forgotten. And then you nope. like, arrive in New York City and it's like They're all like, of nope. TSA just swarms you. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, it's like there's definitely like examples like that can happen like that. Yes. Uh, but let's get into that's some of the alternatives for extradition. But let's get back to what we're talking about this episode, which is the extradition itself. So mm-hmm. Hunter, tell us more. Yeah. So this is just a quote from the Office of the Legal Advisor from the U.S. Department of State. 
It says, quote, in determining whether a fugitive should be extradited, the secretary may consider issues properly raised before the extradition court or habeas court, as well as any humanitarian or other considerations for or against surrender, including whether surrender may violate the United States obligation under the Convention Against Torture. So basically, like, hey, like, this person's here, this country's requesting them to be extradited, but we know if they go back home, like, they're going to be killed instantly, like, this is why we will, instead of, you know, going ahead and extraditing them, we can, for example, grant them asylum within the U.S., so you can have that happen as well. So it's just one of those points that it all is a very, it, it's an extremely intricate legal process. Like it kind of seems easy of where it's like, hey, like we want this person jailed. They did wrong in our country, like ship them back to us and we will, you know, say like what they did and, you know, they'll go to court. But it's not nearly as simple as that. Like, you know, you can kind of hope that legally it would be simpler, but it's it's just not. It's a very in-depth, process to go through. Yeah. So that's why sometimes when you hear some of those high profile cases, it might take a minute to get people back. Yeah. And that's if both countries are cooperating. Like if two, if one of them is not cooperating, it's if both of them just makes it even more complicated. Um, but let's talk about the United States role in extradition. So mm. the United States is actually party to two multilateral conventions for international prisoner transfer which include the Council of Europe Convention on the Transfer of Sentenced Prisoners and the Inter-American Convention on Serving Criminal Sentences Abroad. So the countries that have bilateral treaties with the United States include Bolivia, Canada, France, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Thailand, and Turkey, and then prisoner transfer agreements with the Federated States of Micronesia, the Marshall Islands, and the Republic of Palau. So altogether, the United States has about 82 countries that they have extradition treaties with. Yeah. So like looking at all of that, like there's clearly a lot going on here, but there's also a lot of countries that don't have extradition treaties. So moving into kind of like the next like component of all of this is I guarantee you y'all have heard of Interpol, but like how exactly does this play into it? So we're going to go into that and talk about that a little bit. So the full name all criminal for- minds should know. Sorry, sorry yes. to cut you off. I was like, yes. all criminal minds people should know. If you watch Law and Order SVU, you should know what Interpol is. Yes, be on the lookout for a lot of the stuff because you're gonna, you're probably gonna like know the names and stuff, but you might not know exactly like what they do. So the full name of Interpol is the International Criminal Police Organization, and so there are 195 member countries, and the countries that are not part of Interpol include Bhutan, North Korea, shocker. Yeah, Micronesia, Palau, Samoa, San Marino, the Solomon Islands, Taiwan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Tuvalu, and the Vatican, along with Kiribati and Vanuatu. So a lot of it is just kind of like very like small Pacific islands that aren't part of Interpol, which like, you know, kind of makes sense because they don't have like a giant police force anyways. So like, you know, they don't really have a need for Interpol there. But those are the countries that are not there. So the organization, it's general secretariat that's in charge with everything. It's housed in Singapore. And then there is a national, so there's an Interpol National Central Bureau in each country that kind of serves as a central point of contact for the general secretariat, as well as other national central bureaus from other countries. Interpol offers 
the investigative support, such as forensics and analysis, as well as helping to locate fugitives across the world. And the three main issues for Interpol are terrorism, cybercrime, and organized crime. So if there's a bunch of crime syndicates going on, Interpol's probably looped into it and they're probably looking at it. And so the organization, it's able to still coordinate policing activities between countries, even if they don't have very friendly diplomatic relations, which is actually really beneficial because it serves as a separate entity that they work directly with other count, like with the other counterparts, like with those other national central bureaus, instead of like working directly with the government of another country. So, you know, when those two countries are beefing, this makes it so you can actually still like have like police work go on, even if the governments like don't agree with each other and like just basically hate each other. Yeah, I think that it is a very very needed and useful organization. I mean, our queen, Emily Prentice, was an agent Yes, <laughs> for Interpol in so Criminal y'all, Minds. If y'all have seen Criminal Minds, then you are somewhat aware of what was going on in there. Yeah, so it's kind of like, it It doesn't overpower a country's own agency. It just like is a supplement, which is nice to have. Kind of like, I feel like it's kind of like the ICC in that way. Yeah, uh, where it's kind of just like this like separate entity that like still helps to serve and like create oversight. And then so like Erica, do you want to go in and talk about what red notices are within Interpol? Yes. So this is a direct quote from the Interpol website. A red notice is a request to law enforcement worldwide to locate and provisionally arrest a person pending extradition, surrender or similar legal action. It is based on an arrest warrant or court order issued by the judicial authorities in the requisition country, member countries apply their own laws in deciding whether to arrest a person, unquote. And it contains two main types of info. And so it's the information to identify the wanted person, such as their like name, date of birth, nationality, hair and eye color, photographs, fingerprints, if available, and information related to the crime that they are wanted for, which can range anywhere from murder, sexual assault, child abuse, or armed robbery. And red notices are published by Interpol at the request of a member country and must comply with Interpol's constitution and rules. So think of the red notice as an international warrant Mm -hmm. for arrest. That's literally what it is. It's more of like a, it's more of like a be on the lookout more so than a bolo. Yeah. So it's more like a bolo because it doesn't necessarily give Interpol like, hey, you have the ability to go and arrest this person because they still have to go and compel the local policing authorities to go and actually arrest the person. So like if Interpol has this person and they're like, hey, we know that they're right here. Like they're in like, they're in like the town square. Like we love to go and like, just pick them up, like take them in. Like they're really wanted. Like if the host country is like, no, then you don't get to do, then Interpol doesn't get to go and do that. Like it's really just to be on the lookout. So even if that happens, Interpol can still go and report to all of their other national central bureaus that, hey, you know, this person was spotted here. We know where their location is. So now we can kind of like track their whereabouts because we know where they are. So it's not as much of an arrest warrant as it is a be on the lookout. So not an international warrant, more like an international wanted sign. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And so okay. the rules that kind of like come along with this. So red notices. So you can't issue them for certain things. So Some of these things include cultural differences, such as like damaging honor. Another part of it that you can't go and issue a red notice for is private matters, such as adultery or homosexuality. 
or you also can issue a red notice for a violation of laws that are either administrative in nature or private disputes, unless it's stemming from organized crime. So this would be like traffic violations or defamation. But if you have like a giant organized crime place going on, then like, yeah, you know, like you can absolutely go and Interpol, you can issue a red notice for that. Imagine like running a red light in Paris, France, and then suddenly there's like a bolo. Yeah, like that. Like you, can't, like you can't have that. Like you don't have a red notice on you because you ran a red light. Like that's not it. Like you're only going to have them like if like you committed like a very like very cruel and crude crime, pretty much, unless it was organized crime that may not have had like a physical like violation against someone, but you know, otherwise was still criminal. So how common would you say are red notices? Like, have there been any people in the media lately that might have undergone an extradition that might have had a red notice? So going into all of this, we're going to talk about some of our really big cases here. So I can't necessarily say that they have had red notices, but they've definitely been in talks in the media lately for extradition. So one of the biggest ones lately is the WNBA star, Brittany Griner. So Erica, if you want to go in and talk a little bit about Brittany Griner and her case and talk about her whole ordeal with extradition. Yes. So Brittany Griner has been in the media ever since her arrest in Russia. And as of lately, uh, uh, what was it? 11 days ago that she was released from the Russian prison. So she was, so she's been in the media, basically her entire case has just been display yeah. like i've it, never i don't think i've ever over. seen so much coverage um but basically so wmba star Brittany griner was in a russian prison prison and she was sentenced in august by a russian court to nine years in prison for carrying less than a gram of hash oil into russia when she arrived in february of this year 2022 to play in the russians women's bas- professional basketball league And um, in court, Griner had admitted to mistakenly place packing two vape cartridges in her rush to pack her luggage. But the provided documents showed that she the hash oil she had was legally prescribed by her U.S. doctor for pain management. And I'm going to get into a little bit of background about Brittany in a second. But I just want to give a little um, side note. A lot of times, especially when countries have, let's say, tense relations just because they admitted to something doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going on. And I'm not saying that that's what happened with this case. But like, I, if you recall, we talked about the North Korea student who was detained in, or the, the American student detained in North Korea and for mm-hmm. what was it ripping a poster off a wall. And yeah. he was like bloodied and beaten and like forced to give a confession basically of that's what he said. And I'm going to take his word for it kind of, cause I mean mm-hmm. what he looked like, but so just yeah. keep that into account when, we're talking about what happens when it goes on in trials of other countries. It's not every legal system is the same. Yeah, especially with these authoritarian regimes like Russia, and especially because Russia doesn't have an extradition treaty with the U.S. Yes, yes. very. And I mean, while all this was happening, Russia was literally invading Ukraine. So Yeah, yeah. So there's (laughs) there's a lot going on here. There's there's a lot of backstory to this. So just a little bit about Brittany Griner. She plays for the Phoenix Mercury, which is a Women's National Basketball Association team. And she's a seven-time WNBA All-Star, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, and the first openly gay athlete to sign a con endorsement contract with Nike. And she actually also played for Russia's UMMC 
Turinburg basketball team during the WNBA's offseason, which is a common practice for basketball stars in the offseason. You know, got to get those dunks in. Mm -hmm. Um, Very interesting (laughs) that she had played for Russia's team before and was then arrested in Russia. But yeah, we'll we'll get more into it. So the White House confirmed on December 8th that she had been freed and Russia's foreign ministry confirmed in a press release that same day that Griner was exchanged at the Abu Dhabi airport for convicted Russian arms dealer Victor Bout. And fun fact about the United States is they kind of discourage prisoner swaps out of concern that it would lead to imprisonment of more Americans abroad because, I mean, I'm sure the United States has quite quite a bit of high-profile international convicts in their federal prisons but um along with this exchange there was also calls for the release of u.s marine paul whalen who is still imprisoned in russia on espionage charges that the united states states are false but russia refused to consider whalen's release even though both were brought up at the same time like griner and whalen both brought it up in the talks with Mm. russia to release yeah, them. Russia just was not willing to exchange Paul Whelan for Brittany Griner at that point. Yes. And so the U.S. government had labeled Griner as wrongfully detained. And like I said, or like we said, sought an exchange with Russia for both Griner and Whelan. But according to Biden, and this is a direct quote from the White House uh, release statement on Brittany Griner's release. Sadly, for totally illegitimate reasons, Russia is treating Paul's case different than Brittany's, which, again, related to Britney's case, it was about hash oil, which I'm not even 100% sure on what that is, <laughs> but I'm, it's it's a vape cartridges. So I'm assuming it has to do with vaping. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously a, a U.S. Marine with espionage charges, very much different from having quote unquote illegal. I don't even know if hash oil, hash oil is legal in Russia or not. I'm assuming it's not considering the fact that she got charged. Um, yeah, but- it's more so just like, you know, like not you know i mean she's not like smuggling in like black tar heroin like it is like a vape cartridge like you know it's used for pain management it's not something that's going to be a crazy like she's not bringing in like bricks of cocaine or something like that so the difference there is hey this man's been convicted on espionage charges versus Brittany griner who you know she has a drug charge against her yeah i mean and it was under a gram I believe they had said less less than a gram. And again, she had a prescription from her U.S. doctor, but especially when tensions are high between the United States and Russia, prescriptions, I guess, don't hold up internationally. Yeah. And I mean, also, like, you know, as horrible as it is to say, like, this does kind of serve Russia as a useful foreign policy tool because they knew, hey, it's in February, right before we're invading Ukraine. Like, we know that the U.S. is not going to be engaging with us like they normally do so this can be a bargaining chip down the road that we can use for negotiations for something else so russia really played this like to their advantage which is horrible and goes against like all like the humanitarian beliefs of how you should be treating prisoners especially like you know i mean this wasn't some crazy thing like she wasn't smuggling in like a nuclear device like in her backpack you know i mean so this is one of those things of where Russia did use this as essentially a foreign policy tool. Yeah. And I think it's just an important note. Just always, if you guys are traveling internationally, especially in places like North Korea, Russia, I don't think anyone can even travel to North Korea, but like yeah, Cuba, US, if US you're an American national, 
just be aware, not in any way implying that this is like not victim implying or blaming or anything like that, but just be aware of yeah. other countries, international laws, um, because Brittany Griner thankfully was returned. And I would say quite a short amount of time considering she was sentenced to nine years in Russia. Yeah. Um, but it still was, what was that? 10 months, 10 months away from her family, mm -hmm. just in time, just home and just in time for Christmas. Um, and you know, us Marine Paul Whelan is still in custody in Russia, still serving out his sentence. So we just got to be vigilant when we're visiting these countries. Not yeah. that I plan to visit Russia anytime soon. No, I absolutely do not. But it's just, like you said, like you have to be vigilant. You have to know what the country's laws are that you're going to because, yeah, sure. Like, you know, you may be able to have these prescription medications here, but in other countries, that's extremely not allowed. Like, it's extremely illegal. You can't have them anywhere on your person. You can't even really like think about it, basically. You know, these are those things that you just really have to take precautions, especially going to a country that has adverse relations with the country that you're visiting from. You have to be very vigilant about these things and know these things going into that of, hey, like, I really have to abide by these rules. I have to do this, abide by these customs while I'm here, because otherwise it can be seen as an illegal act. And then something like this can happen, which this is all just wild to think about. But I mean, I don't know. And then I saw talk, too, of people saying like, oh, no, like, OK, well, we got like Brittany Griner for an arms dealer. Like we had to trade away an arms dealer. But the thing is. Brittany Griner is a U.S. citizen. So, of course, the U.S. is going to do everything in their power to bring back a U.S. citizen. It's a U.S. Brittany Griner is a U.S. national. So, of course, you're going to try and bring back, you know, your people. And the thing is, too, of just like we were talking about earlier, you really have to be careful of like where you go in the world if you're wanted by other governments, because that's the thing. This arms dealer, Victor Boot, was not just wanted by the U.S. Multiple other countries still want this man. So just because the U.S. exchanged him in a prisoner swap doesn't mean that he just has free reign and just like, you know, the slate is cleared throughout the world. He still can only really go to like Russia and like Russian allies if he doesn't want to go and get, you know, sanctioned by like some other government, most likely a European government at that point. But it's kind of, you know, I don't know. I just I heard that debate and I didn't really like it. I did not care for that. It just it was it was I don't know, more like a nuisance argument in my mind. I think another important factor also is like we mentioned the media coverage of mm. Brittany Griner, like when the yes. entire media is putting pressure on the United States president, especially I think there's just so many things going on like they're like, we're not invading Russia because they're invading Ukraine. Like so many things are going on with Russia. And so there was just so much scrutiny under the president to do something. Absolutely. And he was thankfully able to do something for Brittany Griner, even though I would agree, like their crimes are not similar in any way. Russia really had the upper hand on this one, which like sucks. It just really sucks. It kind of sucks when the other country kind of gets a little win over you. But mm -hmm. ultimately, like Hunter said, the most important thing is that Brittany's back. We have our own back. She was an Olympic champion. Um, and I can only hope that all of our wrongfully convicted American nationals out there are all wrongfully convicted nationals out there are returned to the rightful country. Yeah. And then, I mean, so just going off of that, there's so many other high profile cases. So another one going on right now is the whole FTX founder, Sam Bankman Freed. So he was in the Bahamas and then he was arrested about a week ago. We're recording this on Monday, the 19th of December, 2022. 
And so Sam Bankman Freed, he's involved in this whole scandal with this company of, you know, kind of like mismanaging funds, a lot of negligence, a lot of fraud charges. So he was indicted on eight counts of fraud and conspiracy by federal prosecutors in out of New York. And so what had happened is he was arrested in the Bahamas by Bahamian officials and by Bahamian police authorities. And so this whole case is just a mess. So there was drama in the Bahamian court. And so prosecutors that were from the Bahamas, they were basically saying, hey, we have an agreement with Sam Bakeman Freed's attorneys in the U.S. that he wants to be extradited. He's fine. Which a week ago, Sam Bakeman Freed was pretty much saying, I'm not going to be extradited. I'm going to fight this. And so then all of a sudden there was this day in court where the prosecuting authorities for the Bahamas were saying, yeah, he, we reached an agreement with his U.S. attorneys saying he will be extradited and he's fine with that. But then the Bahamian, pro, the Bahamian attorney for Sam Bankman Freed was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was not included in this. I don't know what this is. And this is the person who is representing Sam Bankman Freed in the Bahamas at the time. So like his lawyer in the Bahamas, who's like with him in person, didn't know about this supposedly. But his U.S. attorneys did supposedly know about this, according to Bahamian prosecutors. So this is where that whole issue of like extradition comes in, because this is what we were talking about earlier with a waiver of where fugitives can waive the formal extradition process and they could just agree to be transferred. And so essentially they were saying like, yeah, he already agreed to be transferred. This is the waiver. But that is attorney there was like, what are you talking about? No, he did it. I've never been included in these talks. So like, what are, you, what are you talking about here? So basically the judge was like, okay, everybody go away, figure out your stuff. Sam Bankman Freed, you talk to your U.S. attorneys and you talk to your Bahamian attorney right in front of all of each other. And then you can all figure this out and then you can come and talk to me. And so basically it's been reported. It, this is all like a very like current issue. So it's still ongoing, but it's been reported that Sam Bankman Freed says that he is supposedly going to waive his rights and be extradited to the U.S. So it's reporting that the article reports that that, you know, he originally wanted to fight the extradition efforts, um, but that the prison where he's being held in is called Fox Hill and there's very harsh conditions there. So it seems like he's kind of giving into the extradition efforts about a week after he was thrown in that jail. But we'll see how this actually ends up like playing out. But I just thought that it was really interesting because we were literally talking about the waiver earlier and it's like, okay, well, who normally would just waive their right to be extradited? Like, normally you would go to a country to not be extradited. Like, if I'm if I'm thinking I just committed a crime, I'm going to go somewhere that I can't be extradited. So why would I just waive that and just, sure, just take me on back. But this is a case where it looks like that may happen. Well, I think when people go to other countries that, like, don't have extradition treaties, they're also kind of thinking, like, well, I don't want to be arrested there either. So, like, hopefully yeah. they just, like, won't care. Yeah. All I'm going to say is, you guys, be thankful that Hunter and I sold all, all our Dogecoin. <laughs> I like could not speak there for a second. Sorry. Um, be thankful we sold all our Dogecoin because, oh, my God, I can't say Doge. I, anyways. Anyways. Um, no, the cryptocurrency, that was a huge one because we know all those crypto people were like, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. And then it like crashes. Well, it's because a lot of those funds were mismanaged. And so a lot of people were essentially like swindled out of money of where everyone's like, where's the money? Where's my money? Where's my money? And now, you know, 
nobody really knows where it is. It's because it was mismanaged. That's why Sam Aikman-Fried has been indicted on these charges because he allegedly has committed fraud and conspiracy charges with mismanaging funds within this giant venture of his. So it's going to be really interesting to see how exactly that case plays out. But for now, we'll just go into some other like high profile extra. I thought you were going to say wait and see. But oh we will God. wait and see. We will wait we and will... see. We will wait and see. And we will come back with an update episode on that one because legally, like foreign policy wise, it is really interesting. But for now, we just don't have enough of the story unfolded to even be able to give you guys like a real episode about it. But I just thought that it was very interesting since it does include that waiver aspect. So Erica, do you want to hit us with a couple of the other really high profile extraditions? Yes, I am actually super pumped because I remember a lot of these and I hope you do as well, Hunter. And so I'm excited to talk about these. I got you. The one, I already know that you know exactly which one I can't wait to talk about because it is interesting. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'll I'll start off with the first two. And so our first, well, our first one is Carlos Gosen. Carlos is a former auto industry executive and he arranged to have ex-military operatives remove him from Tokyo in 2019 where he was under court-ordered surveillance and so he was in court-ordered surveillance in Tokyo and they he wanted these ex-military operatives to transport transport him to Beirut, Lebanon. He actually did manage to escape and he had a little pit stop in Istanbul and this was viewed as an embarrassment for the Japanese authorities who were currently prosecuting him for alleged financial crimes and the incident strained the relations between Japan and Lebanon because they do not have an extradition treaty. And in response, Tokyo issued issued one of those Interpol red notices for Gozen. Mm-hmm. So we were just talking about those. You guys know what it is now. It's the international wanted poster. And yes. actually, there is a Netflix documentary. I do not recall the title, but I did see that there is a Netflix documentary on his escape, um, Carlos's, that came out this year. And because he's still out in the media, he's just out doing interviews and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So take and, us into the next one because this next one was extremely in the media. You all heard of this person. If if you haven't, I'm shocked that you haven't heard of this person. So Julian Assange, the next one. I'm so excited to talk about this one, Hunter. Oh my God. I remember this. This like blew it was my crazy. Mind. Yeah. Because I mean, it was like while we were like in undergrad so it was like this whole process that was like unfolding we were all like in our international law classes like we were all trying to learn about it like it was crazy of everything that was going on yes okay so all right we'll we'll tell you guys we'll tell you guys for sure yes right now so (laughs) acting on a united states extradition request british authorities arrested the wikileaks founder after he was evicted from the ecuadorian embassy in london in april 2019 and yes you heard that correct he was in fact evicted because ecuador Mm -hmm. had granted assange asylum in 2012 and allowed him to reside at its its embassy to avoid extradition to sweden where he was being investigated for sexual assault and other alleged crimes so this this person was literally living in the ecuador embassy in london for seven years and then ecuador withdrew the protection basically kicking him out citing grievances against assange and wikileaks and so the United States authorities have charged him with conspiracy to hack into the U.S. government computers and release hundreds of thousands of classified documents between 2010 and 2011. 
And Swedish authorities dropped their inquiries in late 2019. They're basically letting the United States take over. But guys, this was crazy. Like everything was blowing up. Like I just can't understand the logistics. Like where did did he not go outside for seven years? So so that's the thing, though, because like so technically like embassies are considered foreign soil. So when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy, like technically he was not on British soil. Like he wasn't in Britain. Technically he was in Ecuador because it was Ecuadorian soil. So it's like, it's just crazy to me that like homeboy was like in there for what? Seven years, seven years. He was just like hanging out, like at the embassy. So like, sure. Like he can like go out to like the courtyard in the embassy, but like, I mean, like that's like a government building. And he was basically just like living there. Like it was like an extended stay, like hotel, like, was wild no it seriously was crazy and just so quick note i would just like to apologize for my mispronunciation of julian's last name it's assange so anyways back to the craziness of him literally living in ecuador's embassy just like wild like an extended stay hotel truly just to me this is mind-boggling but it's legally like something that is allowed to happen i mean yeah i just like what did what was Ecuador doing? Like why were they protecting him so much? I guess is my question. And then also, what were these grievances like with Assange and well, because I mean, WikiLeaks? like, like what did what so did they like, have? Because I mean, like WikiLeaks? WikiLeaks, like yeah. So I mean, like it's like exposing like government documents. So it's like okay, cool. Like Ecuador is like no, no, no. It's really valuable for like the world to have this because like the U.S. and all these other countries they operate based off of all of this stuff and. They're so secretive and we don't know some of these things. So, like it's important to have like a free press, a free media that can report on this. If you have these documents, like share them with the press, share them with the world. Like citizens have a right to know like what's going on with their government. So that's kind of like where like the WikiLeaks supporters are really coming from with this whole argument. But then you're also having the argument of like Ecuador it's like, where they're just like, okay, cool. We're getting a lot of backlash for housing this person, for like granting him asylum. Like people are like, you know, diplomatically we're under fire because we're hosting this person at our embassy, basically. He's also just like living in our embassy for like seven years, just like hanging out as like a little guest there. Like, you know, I mean, like, uh, absolutely. There's going to be some grievances there because I mean, Ecuador, like, yeah, it's not a giant country. So when it's facing pressure to go and, you know, give up Julian Assange, it's like, okay, you know, we might be forced in doing that. Like if you're getting like bombarded by like, hey, we're not going to like cut this trade deal with you because we're not going to do this. So like if you're being like threatened with like coercive diplomacy to give up an individual like this, it can really take a damper on how you like actually act within your foreign relations. Like it's something that can absolutely be a giant factor to why you would give up someone like Assange. Okay, but like also just like what, were both of them thinking like what was Ecuador thinking and what was Assange thinking because like was Assange just gonna live there for the rest of his life and what was I, Ecuador I mean, thinking did they think that like the United States was just gonna be like never mind like that's fine you keep well, him like that's the thing I mean like that like when it comes to that kind of stuff it's like you really have to like think about like how these policies are gonna go like I don't know I mean it, it's I, just I get maybe for like a week like being like okay you want to be extradited like let me pull a funny haha on the United States and like laugh in their face and like I just yeah. don't get what they were thinking. I, I find it crazy. But you know what? That is – there are still crazier extraditions out there. Hunter, if you want to lead us, tell us. Yes. So the next one is one that I've always been like, this is this is how other countries will 
kind of go like tit for tat with everything and absolutely just go and you know like this is where it comes into like a problem of like arresting like a foreign national because like then it's a whole issue with that country because that country's like absolutely not like that's our citizens so it's kind of like you know you know how like sometimes you're like there's a family member and you might like pick on that family member but if anyone else picks on that family member you're absolutely gonna go and you're gonna fight for that family member you're gonna be like I don't really like them either but only I can say that to them it's not necessarily like that but it's kind of similar to that of with extraditions and like arresting foreign nationals so this one really gets into that argument so Meng Wenzhou is a so Canadian authorities arrested Meng who was an executive at Huawei a giant Chinese telecom like giant Chinese telecom company like we've talked about it plenty of times on our Belt and Road segment we talk about it in our regular China segment we talk about it even in like some of our other just normal segments of just talking about like hey Huawei's there it's like you know there's Huawei there's Apple there's you know it's like it's a giant telecom company so of course it's going to be there and so this was at the request of the United States and this happened back in December 2018 and so U.S. prosecutors they charged Meng with bank and wire fraud related to Huawei's business with Iran. So obviously the U.S. is already like, we don't like Huawei, bad, bad, bad. But then you're gonna be doing business with Iran? Oh, that's real bad. So of course we are about to step in. So our good friends, the Canadians, we're gonna need you to do us a solid and absolutely go through and arrest this person. And so Canada's like, sure, we'll arrest them. And so this, like, this was, all during like the Trump presidency of where it was very like anti-China at this point. It was very like, we're getting the raw deal with our trade deals with China. We need to renegotiate America first. Like it was during all of this. So that is kind of like the backgrounder for what is going on. So this was through those trade talks. And so in the days following Meng's arrest, China arrested two Canadians and what many political commentators, you know, political pundits, they characterized it as political retaliation, which, I mean, it it's hard to see it as anything else because you've just arrested this giant, like, C-suite level, like, ex- this giant executive from one of your country's biggest firms. And now, like, all of a sudden, just like a couple days later, you're like, you know what? Absolutely. Take those Canadians. We're going to arrest them. I, I, it's hard to see it as anything else besides political retaliation. Like it really no, is. it's just sus for sure. And I feel bad for Canada. Like they were just Canada's really solid. Caught, and then Canada's it was really caught in the middle. Their their citizens were the ones arrested. Like I I think China knew that if they had gone for the United States, it might have been a little too obvious. Mm-hmm. Because then United States would have been like, hold on. Yeah, because then it, it would have just inflamed like the trade talks even more. But this was kind of like a tip for tat of where it's like, okay, Canada, like if you're going to do this, then we'll do the exact same thing to you. So here are two of your Canadian citizens and they will be arrested. So it's just, I mean, it's it's wild how these cases work. So that's like an example of like how extradition can just absolutely go wrong. I think the next one is also an example of how extradition can kind of go wrong. Hunter, if you want to tell us. Yeah, so the next one is Fatula Gulen. So in 2016, Turkish prosecutors, they filed an extradition request for Fatula, who is a cleric, and they lived in the U.S. for more than 15 years. So, you know, they've been in the U.S. for a fair bit of time at this point. 
And so Ankara, they allege that Gulen leads a terrorist organization. They're saying they were behind the 2016 coup against President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, which if you've listened to our Turkey episode, like, you know that there's just a bit of madness going on with President Erdogan. You know, these very very paranoid, very, like, I am going to hold on to power as long as I can. I don't, like, I will, you know, do some, use some unconventional, maybe some illegal, some a little illegitimate means to do so, but I will hold on to power. So this really is not a shocker. To I just, I find it crazy because it's like, I'm like, babe, he's doing good. Like, he's been in the United States for like 15 years. He's just doing his thing. Like, what makes him? And he's you... just casually running a terrorist organization within the U.S. as the Who U.S. wages the a war on terror. <laughs> I mean, if this is more than 15 years and this happened in 2016, then this means that they've been here since almost 2001 when the U.S. really started the war on terror. So, like, why would there just be a person living in the united states that's lead that's just casually like leading a terrorist organization i don't understand so you know you're going into this so this is one of those examples of where extradition it's not working and just because the uh, country requested it doesn't mean that the other country is going to go along with it so the justice department they rejected turkey's request saying that it failed to meet quote the legal standards for extradition which like shocker there you know no shock there and so President Trump and Erdogan, they were reportedly, they even talked about this extradition question late in 2018 in Donald Trump's presidency. But, you know, it just, like, that's one of those examples of where extradition just, it doesn't really work. Because if you're not going to satisfy the requirements for it, then it doesn't mean that you're automatically guaranteed that this person is going to be extradited to your country. Well, and they have a treaty, too. So, like, I, I mean, typically, I think with a treaty, they're more inclined to yeah, extradite and the fact exactly. that they have and a I mean, treaty turkey's in nato like you know pretty like close like you know i'll i'll call it an alliance with the u.s because technically turkey is an ally of the u.s but you know they're not like the friendliest ally you know it's not like the uk or france or something or canada it's not like canada you know we're not going to expect turkey just to go out there and just hey, hey turkey do us a solid like canada did when you know the u.s asked canada to go and arrest this person so yeah i mean you're more inclined to do it because you have this like formal agreement, but it still doesn't mean that it's going to happen. I would love to dive more into it because they, the, our source kind of left it a little up in the air of the status of it. I mean, the fact that Trump and Erdogan were discussing it a couple years later kind of gives me some questions like what's, what's going to happen. So if you guys want to hear that on an episode, please let us know. I'd be more than happy to, especially because I'd love to talk more about this next person. We sadly have only a few, you know, more minutes yeah. of it because we've talked about a lot we know of we've been going cases. on for a long time now but this is i think that this has been one of like the most fun episodes we've done in a while so i'm living for it i'm loving it i hope that you guys are too yes so let's talk about a very high profile extradition that i would be shocked if a lot of people at least in the united states hadn't heard of this absolutely joaquin guzman Lorera, otherwise known as el chapo so the Mexican government extradited Guzman, the former kingpin of the Sinaloa cartel, to the United States in 2017 to face multiple drug-related charges. Before his transfer, he actually escaped two or he escaped maximum maximum security prisons in Mexico twice. And so a lot of people were questioning. They were kind of like, all right, Mexican judicial system, Mexican prison system, like, what's going on? You know, what's 
how's it going? How did you let him escape? Not once, but twice. Um, so then he was extradited to the United States. And in February 2019, he was convicted in a New York federal court after a three-month trial. Yes. And he has been sentenced to Florence, Colorado, which is a supermax prison. It is where there are a lot of notorious serial killers. Like, oh my God, right by the- you, Hunter. I know I'm not loving that, but it is in Colorado. <laughs> so it's kind of like the bad of the bad. They will go to the supermax there. And so that is where El Chapo Guzman is being held in his sentence, you know, in his conviction. That does not near like this. What we just read about him does not nearly describe El Chapo. And like I said, a lot of you guys probably have heard of him. So you are aware of his background. But please, like we will do this episode. We will. We will. I mean, really like this like this case was like one of like it was actually like a very big like foreign policy thing at the time like it wasn't just like a hey this is judicial this is legal like this was actually like involving foreign policy it was involving the war on drugs it was involving you know transnational boundaries it was involving extradition it was involving all the mexican legal process the u.s legal process like this actually was a really big test kind of like hey we get we get that this is all going on, but like, how is this going to test the U.S.-Mexico diplomatic relationship at this point? Like, this case was a big test of that, I would say. Yeah, and I think it really brought awareness to the corruption that Mexican police face. Um, it's just mm-hmm. a well-known issue, especially when it comes to organized crime. Um, you know, El Chapo is one of the most well-known, I would say, but. I think this is one of the first times we saw like Mexico Mexico actually giving up one of its own. Yeah. Um in relation to an organized crime case because a lot of times they can just bribe the police officers, you know. Yeah. And I mean not saying that that doesn't happen in the United States, but it happens at a much less rate, especially with criminals of this caliber. So that's why it kind of made sense for Mexico to send this man to the United States to be held like in the supermax prison of where there's really not a good chance of him escaping like he did multiple times in the past. Yeah. So um, definitely we'll have to jot that down for a future episode, just like our other high profile cases. There's a lot more. Um, there's quite a bit of extraditions every year from not mm-hmm. just the United States, but there, you know, I, I would have to assume like hundreds around yeah, the like world across the every globe, single year, a lot of high profile ones. So, I mean, high profile and just normal ones. Um mm-hmm. I mean, as normal as an international extradition can get, I guess. Yeah, uh, like, but... <laughs> you know, there's got to be a little bit of, you know. Yeah, maybe not like there. S- such there's, well-known. There's, some, there's a story there for each one of them. Yeah, um, I mean, sometimes too, it's probably just like a tit for tat, like uh, the one for, I mean, the Huawei one was a high profile tit for tat, of course. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes it is just tit for tat between countries because one might have the upper hand, um, but we would love to get into that more. But again, this episode was more so about extraditions. So we hoped we covered that for you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have any questions, leave them down in our website, on our Instagram. I know we're not as active as we keep saying we're going to be. Sorry about that. Yes, that is uh, Instagram is not our strong suit, but definitely feel free to go onto the website. We are always checking that. Jump into either one of mine or Erica's socials. Also, just jump into the podcast socials, too, because if we get a message on there, we'll absolutely check it. We're just not the best with posting, which we know we need to get better about. And we keep on saying that we will. But yeah. that is like, going to be one of our New Year's resolutions. So we will definitely attempt to do that getting into the new year. But thank you guys so much for listening. I had a ton of fun making this episode. I know Eric and I, we've literally been talking about doing this episode for, I think, the past year. 
And then, you know, Cody just ended up texting us and we were like, okay, cool. I guess that now's the time that we're about to do it. So especially with a bunch of big profile extraditions coming in the news and the media right now, it's, you know, it's something to be informed about. Yes. So make sure to check out our websites, check out our sources. We've got some really great ones for you guys today. We will try and post on Instagram, TBH. Instagram is kind of dying along with Twitter. So maybe we'll... Well, maybe we'll get on TikTok. We should. I mean, we yeah. have an account. We should. Mm-hmm. We should post TikTok Hunter. We'll start getting back on a TikTok too. Yeah. <laughs> so follow us on TikTok. That yes. that's where it's at. At the hot girl briefing. At hot girl yes. briefing. Yes. Not the hot girl briefing. I don't know why I said that because yeah. this is the hot girl briefing. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your night. We will see you guys. Well, I guess talk to you guys soon. I shouldn't say yes. see because we're not. Yes. Met- I mean. We will be talking to y'all next week, so can't wait for it. Going to have another episode out of Hot Girl Briefing. Sorry about this last week. You know, the Hot Girls really, 2022 is not necessarily the Hot Girls year. So we are fighting. We are are in the trenches a little bit. But the Hot Girls will be back next week for sure. We will absolutely be having an episode out on Monday. So thank you guys so much. Enjoy all of your holiday festivities. Also, Erica, we forgot to tell them, you guys have listened to the podcast we have over one quarter of a million streams. So thank you so much to everybody that has streamed, everybody that's listened, everybody that's downloaded, if you've rated, if you've reviewed, if you've subscribed. Thank you all so much. I I don't think we ever really thought that we would get to a quarter million. Like that just, to, to us, that seems insane, especially like with the first, like what, six months we were, doing this podcast Erica we were getting maybe like 10 listens a week like some weeks like and now that we have a quarter million total listens throughout the podcast history I just I I couldn't be any more happy going into the new year knowing that yes 2023 is gonna be our year so we can't wait to provide more for you guys next year and thank you so much yep have a great rest of your day great rest of your week and we will see y'all next week on Monday bye bye